They're bad. They're boys. And occasionally, they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Safety batters. Normally, when we in, we introduce a guest, there's one thing we can introduce them for. But actually, Lloyd has been doing so many incredible things for so many years. It's hard to actually think how you best know him. But if you've seen anyone who does London Marathon for a, a big charity, um, you've probably noticed Lloyd. The biggest one has either been, I'd say, doing the London Marathon dressed in a diving suit or as a snail as well. Is that right, Lloyd? Uh, I did do it as a snail. <laughs> <laughs> Brian the snail from Magic Roundabout. <laughs> but he's done a huge number of challenges um, all for charity and raised an insane amount of money. So welcome on the podcast, the wonderful Lloyd Scott. Yay! How are you doing? Yeah, good. Very good. Very good. Yeah. I'm, Wait, I, I'm guessing happen to our next, uh, our next um, lockdown. But um, yeah, so it's eight o'clock on the fourth of January, and um, Boris national, is national lockdown. National <laughs> lockdown not day. That's apparently <laughs> yeah. what just happened. So we're missing out on Boris's waffle. Um, I don't think it's going to be good news, sadly. But Louise, where, where should we begin? Um, interestingly enough, everywhere I find stuff about you, it always talks about how the fact you used to be a professional goalkeeper. I did, yeah. Um, I left school, and um, I suppose it's every schoolboy's dream to be a professional footballer. Um, but probably unlike every schoolboy's dream, I ended up playing for Leighton Orient. So... Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and yeah, so I, I had some time there, and so they moved on to Watford, which I really, really enjoyed, uh, and then played for Blackpool, signed for Blackpool. Amazing. On playing non-league at, uh, at Dagenham, yeah, so. I'm, I'm curious, I'm curious as, as to how you end up as a goalkeeper, because of course everyone, fan, when they get on the pitch, everyone fans themselves <clears> a bit of a, as a bit of a striker or a forward. So how, how yeah. no one ever wants to go in goal. No, no, really, really good. How do, how do Interesting you answer coming up. Do, do you get pushed back, pushed back until they kind of go, well, no, I, I used to play, I used to play centre half. I used to play centre half. <clears throat> and um, I think about 11 or 12 years old. I had some problem with, with my feet. I actually discovered I had a kind of an extra bone or like a bridging bone in my foot. Uh, and it meant that uh, I couldn't play sport for quite some time um and instead of just not playing because of the problem that i had with with my feet um i decided to go and go uh that way it, it didn't it didn't matter so much so um i kind of ended up a little bit by um, default and 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 stayed there ever and stayed there ever since were you doing endurance events simultaneously once if your foot had healed or, or was was it completely separate your goalkeeping life to your your current life um i can remember the first endurance i think it was about 15 or something our next door neighbor had a severely handicapped little boy uh, who went to a special a special school 
and I did a run from where I lived in Rainham in Essex to Brentwood somewhere. It was about 13, 15 miles or something to um, uh, a young lady I was seeing at the time just to raise some money. Um, this was before London Marathon time, you know, so, so long distance running and, and marathon running wasn't, uh, hadn't arrived on, on the, the athletic calendar really. Um, and I raised some money and presented them with a cheque and they used it to buy some, some special equipment for the school. So that's how, I suppose that was my first ever uh, kind of long distance sponsored run and I, I would have probably been about 16 or 17. And, and out of interest, because it's so easy for people to now have a Just Giving site, to have a telephone number that people can text with donations, how how did you raise that money? Like, what? Who was it from, and and how did you get it? Well, in those in those days, I say those days. Like, geez, I sound uh, like a fossil. But um, <laughs> you used to have a sponsorship form, and, and you used to go around people's houses and and say, "I'm doing this. Will you sponsor me?" Um, and then what happened was you did that before the event, and then you had to then go around after the event with some kind of proof that you'd actually done it. Um, and then ask the people to um, to then give you uh, the money. So it wasn't as easy as setting up a Just Giving page or a Give As You Live page or an online donation or a text to that. It, it really was just real sort of legwork. Um, but it sounds as if that probably was more work than the actual <clears throat> challenge. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's funny, even more recently now, um, I'm just doing, and this is not a plug for my book, but I'm actually just writing the book. And um, one of the things I've said is that, in actual fact, organising the events, because um, a lot of the events that, that I do, I kind of come up with the idea and then have to budget and see if I can get it sponsored and to work out all the logistics, uh, and it has to have a... Um, I can't just come up with something crazy. There has to be a fundraising element that makes it worthwhile. So it's, it's, it's quite a, uh, <clears throat> a, not a conundrum, but you have to look at a number of different things. Uh, you know, you can't just sit in a tub of baked beans. It's, it's, it's a number of different elements that have to come together to make the event that I do worthwhile. Um, so, uh, and that is... Uh, I think I've, I've quoted the same as, as difficult or more difficult than actually doing the event. Once you're doing the event, that's all you have to focus on. You know, you just have to focus on, you know, whether it's getting around a marathon course in a diving mm. suit or as a snail or whether it's cycling across Australia on a penny farthing. Um, that's all then you then have to, to, to focus on. But the, um, the preparation, um, this is where sometimes I get a little bit frustrated whereas I look at the comic relief or the sport relief things and you see these personalities they're just kind of parachuted into the event and the, all of the legwork and uh, and the preparation has already been done um, and then they, they go and do the event and everyone you know lionizes them and don't get me wrong they've raised loads of money for fantastic calls it's, it's gone to uh, it, it's gone and done you know some brilliant work for, for the, the kids um, but from someone that, that, you know, hasn't had that kind of luxury, um, sometimes I do, I do grind my teeth a little bit and, uh, you know, that, that, that it isn't really even half of it actually getting the whole thing 
um, you know, from conception to execution. Well, I think so, like, the interesting thing I mean, is that you were 15 when you decided to, to do it and, you, and your first row was actually as a sponsored thing. What? Because that's obviously kind of where <clears throat> this is all kicked off from. What made you want to do your first run as a sponsored event? Like, I don't imagine, it's not as if like now, everyone gets oh, sponsored for everything. Like, yeah, yeah. When, when you did it, it, it must, you know, because like, it's so hard, like you said, to, to raise money. It's not an easy thing to do. Uh, what what was kind of it, your thinking going back then as to you know why why you want to do it sponsored and kind of what that meant to you? Um, good question. I mean, again, um, looking back, my mum was uh, you know and still is like very compassionate. There's no doubt. Um, again, I, I take my makeup. Um, there's a real stubborn streak that, that comes from dad. Um, but there's also a compassionate side uh, from that, that comes from mum. And at that, at that point, I mean, I wasn't, <clears throat> I wasn't a serial fundraiser or anything. It was just wanted to help out. And it was only later on in, in life um, when I was, I left football and became a fireman. Um, I, I, the London Fire Brigade, and I rescued two small boys from a house fire. And in doing so, I, I inhaled some smoke, was taken off to hospital. The hospital ran a number of tests, and one of them alerted them that something wasn't quite right with my blood. So, further tests, and eventually I was diagnosed with leukemia. Um, not because of the fire, I already had the condition, it was just the circumstances that, that brought it to their attention. Um, <clears throat> and I suppose. That was what really brought it to the forefront. Um, I, I did the London Marathon three weeks before I went into hospital to show other sufferers that despite having a life-threatening illness that one could make the most of any situation. And I did it again 11 months afterwards to show you know, cancer and leukemia sufferers that these uh, sort of types of illnesses you know, can be beaten, can be overcome. And to give other sufferers, you know, at least some, some hope or a bit of some inspiration because that's what I desperately needed when I was diagnosed. Um, and then I you know, just felt I wanted to put something back and I suppose I've been doing that ever since. But it really was you know, the diagnosis of my illness that, that, that really brought that compassionate and fundraising sides, um, which we knew was, which I knew was, it was there previously, but it really, really brought it out and brought it to the fore. And, and you know, since gone on and dominated my life really. And what was the response back then? Because you, you, you've mentioned comic relief and that didn't exist. You know, London was still relatively new in that it, it, we weren't used to seeing tens of people, hundreds of people dressed in fancy dress doing it. Um, was, the, was the media really responsive? Were people receptive to, to giving? And also, did people want to hear a, a message attached to in an endeavour. Well, again, going you know, going back, I mean, when I did when did I do the marathon? Uh, so I did the marathon just before my transplant in nineteen eighty nine. So I mean, at, at the time, the, the marathon was like a real big thing. I mean, there was a there was a build up. Uh, there was like a week's build up to it. Um, they used to get all the stories. Used to go to the what's in the town of this hotel. Um, 
all the celebrities, used to have photo calls. Um, all the national newspapers did a double page spread and all the stories. Um, it was, a, you know, it was a, it was a big deal. Um, you know, nowadays, um, I don't know, it just seems, you know, there isn't, there isn't so much of that now. I mean, occasionally you'll get a, an exceptional, uh, an exceptional story. Um, and, and I get the impression, although I, you know, I, I don't know, it's just you know, saying that I just pick up, I just get the impression that that's perhaps not where the London Marathon want the focus to be now. You know, um, I, I did have an experience. Um, I did it in as uh, St. George and the Dragon. I was in a suit of armour and I pulled this huge dragon around. Uh, and on race day, yeah, as you do, yeah. I mean, it was April the 23rd, so, you know. Um, that was appropriate. Um, and, and I know, you know, the, the, the story was, funny. Gabriel Selassie was out to break the world record. And it poured down with rain that day. I was worried I was going to be like the Tin Man out of the Wizard of Oz and just rust up. Um, but uh, it affected him. He wore the wrong shoes. He finished ninth, complained of sore calves. And that was all the marathon got from there. I don't know how much the investment was to get him to run. Uh, they couldn't get the helicopters up. And so the focus kind of fell elsewhere on the field to, you know, some idiot in a, in, in a um, suit of armor pulling this dragon around. I mean, it did help that I had Steve Redgrave uh, supported the case. And I was helping break the world fundraising record for the London Marathon. Um, but I can remember at the end of the day that the, the people from the charity said, hey, look, you know, this is where all the focus has been on you kind of doing this. And, you know, understand, I, I can get it. I, I can understand that that's possibly not where the, the marathon wanted, wanted its focus. Get that. But I suppose the flip side of it is if you had, I don't know, 70 or 80, I mean, even if you had 50 or 60, 20 or 30 people doing it, I get it. But... Let's face it, the, the, you know, the, the way that I do the marathon hasn't really caught, hasn't really caught on over the years. So, you know, um, yeah, that's interesting you say that, though, because most of the time that organisations focus on, on on a particular area is is normally because either a sponsor or because of their the, the finances reliant on that. And actually, my perception of like, the London Marathon is that they try and focus a lot on the charity and by having a really fast runner i don't think it necessarily makes it that big a difference to anything to do with london marathon which is which i struggle to really you know, to figure out why that might be their motivation uh well they i think they joined the um is it the, the is it top five marathons or the, the, mm. the some case marathon you know there's london Chicago, the majors yeah majors that's it yeah mm. uh, so obviously, I think that's where their focus is, is going to be. I mean, I did the I did the the, the um, diving suit in New York, and geez, I, I was um, no nobody had any kind of idea what what I was doing over there. You know, <laughs> some, some lady came up to a member of my support team, absolutely on a true story, and, and, and said, "Excuse me, but does he have a contagious disease?" You know. Um, Simply because, you know, you know they, they, they thought, I, you know, there's more chance of me actually having a contagious disease than I was actually trying to com complete a marathon wearing a deep sea diving suit. Um, mm. So, um, 
Yeah, I, I think the fancy dress thing is very, very special. Um, not exclusive to London, certainly. You get more of that kind of carnival feel to it than anywhere mm. else in the world. Yeah, it's true. It's that you don't you don't realise until you do another big city marathon uh, just how like few people there are in fancy dress. <laughs> it's, it is quite <laughs> unique in that respect. Uh, when did when did the fancy dress start? Like when was the when was like the first day? Say okay, I'm gonna oh I'm gonna do. It. And, well, and was was there a particular do, was there a particular purpose behind that doing it in fancy dress in the sense that you either wanted to get attention or or see <clears> no, something well, like that? So the, the first time I did it in fancy dress was a was a local. I did a local half marathon, and I also did this little fun run thing. And um, I, I wasn't up to doing a marathon. I thought I'd just join the, the the fun run with. Um, and I thought, oh, I'll do it in some fancy dress. I, I don't remember what I did. I think I did it as Indiana Jones or, or something like that. And the first thing that struck me was actually this isn't much fun. Um, you, know, <laughs> you, 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 you kind of wear the costume and you think it's just going to be like running before, but just with something silly on. But it, effect, it affected it in, in so many different ways. Um, so very quickly, when you when you adopt this fancy dressing, um, you've got to change your mentality that you're not going to, you know, unless you're dressed as Superman or something, that you can actually go out and, and, and really boot it around the course, or at least for me anyway. So, um, no, I mean, uh, again, the, 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 the rationale that, that behind London <clears throat> was that I had, um, up until then, I'd done lots of things. I'd, I'd, done, I'd done the Everest Marathon. I'd done expeditions to the North Pole, to the South Pole. Um, I, I'd, I'd done some ultramarathons. The Death Valley one was an absolute brute. And had they had they all been for charity as well, or were you yeah, just? Yeah, yeah, they were all for charity. They were all for charity. So, excuse me, I've got a little bit of a throat. Um, yeah, they were for, they were all for charity, and then um, uh, and we raised some money. We raised you know, tens and twenties and thirties, thousands of pounds and things. Um, and I think was it just before I climbed some mountains, went up a. Kilimanjaro, and I did Aconcagua in Argentina. I love, how just no, I love how you're just knocking these off. Is that... <laughs> <laughs> you don't think of it, don't you? just don't think of it at the time. It's only when you look back now, oh, wow. But, um, yeah, I, I think just prior to that, I, I did something called the Jordan Desert Cup, <clears throat> which took the worst bits of marathon to Saab, that you had to carry all your own stuff, uh, and uh, the, the bad water, the Death Valley one, where it was like non-stop, at least with the marathon to Saab, after the end of your uh, stage you, you get a rest until the next day starts but this took both and, and i did that and i did that as indiana i did that as indiana jones because it was um it finished in it finished in petra yeah. um where he finds the um uh the chalice you know he, he finds the holy grail so i thought wow that'd be quite fun interestingly enough um the other runners didn't really appreciate me doing it <laughs> <laughs> they were all out there in all this uh I've got a picture at the start. They're all in this Lycra and Cormac stuff, and there's me with like this hat on, this leather jacket, woolly trousers, and boots, and um, I look like I've been cut and pasted from another time. And and uh, and when I actually did finish it, I mean, geez, it took me like 55 hours or something. <laughs> I don't think they were too pleased because you know. 
they were all like, hey, I've managed to do this. And then some bloke chugged in wearing all this uh, get up. So um, but that was the first time I sort of did a, a, a major one. And I thought, you know, after one step, I realized it was a, it was a bad idea. But with, with that first one, did you notice, did it change, as, change people's reaction in, how, in what they said and what they gave? <clears throat> did it make a, a notable difference? Uh, that, so that one, probably not so much. But but that was the first, uh, I suppose that was the first one that I kind of did in a fancy dress, which then kind of opened up um, my thought process. So having, having got back from that, London Marathon two, um, yeah, 2001, so watching that, and once again, the rhinos are there, you know, fantastic costume, how much they weighed and everything. And that's what sparks me off. That's what got. That's what got me. Now we're, now we're talking fancy dress. Saw the rhinos, and, and the, you know my inspiration. Yeah, that, that doesn't look heavy enough. Well, uh, it, yeah, it kind of got me thinking. Okay, rhinos are brilliant, but what's the worst possible costume you could wear to do a marathon? And and that's and that's where it came from. Um, and it was exactly a year before I actually ended up doing it in two thousand two that I kind of had that. I kind of had the idea, um, and, and um, again, I'm not dropping this in. I'm not being. But I, after I did the, the London Marathon, I was fortunate enough. I did the This Is Your Life program, and <clears throat> there was a lady from the BBC, Hazel Irving, was, was doing it. And it's interesting. You get other people's perspective of things, but what she said was, you know, it just threw a completely different angle, uh, like I said, and perspective on it. Everyone wants to do a personal best. Everyone wants to go as fast as they can. Everybody wants to win. And here was me, absolutely not interested in this, just making it as difficult as I possibly could um, to get around. So I suppose going back to, you know, the, the early days, it, it was a completely different take on what everybody else um, kind of set out to, to do. So that, and, and, and I suppose, and sorry, because of that, yeah, the donations started flooding in, yeah. Now, with, with that challenge, because this is the one that has sparked the, the listeners, uh, I guess, interest the most. It's probably the one that's most memorable. Um, how, how does that actually happen then? Because if, I wanna, if I've got a place for London, I can turn up and run it um, wearing what I want. But suddenly when you're going to take over five days, is this something you had to coordinate with them? Yeah, I did. I mean, I told them, I did tell them at the start and uh, in Dave Bedford at the start, just thought, natter, um, start at the back, don't get in, in anybody's way. And um, I don't think he thought anything was going to happen, you know, as a result of me doing it and, and being so slow. By the end of the second day, uh, we were coming to the end of the second day and I saw Dave in the distance and he was had this suit on and tie and I really looked, I'm thinking, oh, we're in trouble here. It's, it's like, you know, um, we're going to get thrown off the course. Um, but he actually said, look, we've had so many media inquiries that have come in because of what you're doing. Um, we'd like to give you a couple of our staff to help coordinate this. You know, would you mind putting our sponsorship on or change your number to put the, the, the charities uh, name on it and, and things, and, it, and it, it, it took off like that. So, yes, I did give them, yeah, I did give them notice. But I think everybody was just surprised the way the whole thing took off. Yeah, 
even whilst you know, whilst we were actually whilst we were doing it. So, and and how did you train for that? Because it's it's such a different physical <laughs> undertaking. Um, I had a weight, I had a weight jacket, um, but the, the one thing I really, really struggled with is the boots. The boots are like nearly twenty-five pound each, and it's, there isn't there isn't really anything that you can do to replicate that in the in the gym. It's it's you can do bench presses and leg presses and stuff, but um, so I actually used to go out under the cover of darkness um, with a weight jacket on and, and wear the boots. And um, it was it was quite funny because uh, a friend of my brother um, apparently saw me um, one one night, and then he was next out with my brother and his friends. He went, "Oh, it's, it's such a shame about Lloyd, isn't it?" And they're going, "What? It's such a shame! Like, you know, he's such a lovely guy, and it's such a shame." And they're going, "What are you talking about?" He said, "Oh, I think his leukemia's come back, and he, he really don't look well." What, what is it? Well, we see him out the other night and he was all hunched over and he could hardly move his leg. And uh, my brother just burst out laughing and said, oh, he's raining to do the mountain in a deep sea diving suit and um, weight, a weight vest on and was wearing lead boots. So um, that, that was the best way. Because how heavy was the, the suit? Uh, all told, it was about a hundred and thirty pounds. So, yeah, it was. It's. It wasn't so much the. It wasn't so much the actual weight. It was the way that it was distributed because the helmet was forty pounds. So we had weights that were probably similar weight as well. So it was very top heavy, and then also it was very bottom heavy. So um, most of the pictures I had when images of me doing that. By two guys either side of me, because if I tripped, I was so top heavy, and, and my legs were so heavy as well. There was no way I could stop. I could stop me falling. So if I if I tripped, I couldn't move my feet quickly enough to, to stop me, especially as I was so top heavy. And there's no way I was going to bounce back up wearing wearing that outfit. You know. So um, yeah, there's, there's there's always there's always a, a hidden problem that you don't kind of realise until you're actually doing something. And how, like, did you have a, an idea of how long it was likely to take? Um, no, not really. Not really. Um, we, we worked out that I was perhaps going to try and do um, five miles in a day, but I never, I never actually did five miles um, training in, in, in the suit or in the boots. So I only ever really got up to about about a mile and a half or something in, in the wow so i mean if you were, if you're thinking of the equivalent of running going a mile and a half and then taking on the marathon and, uh, and well, did... well, it, there was other training with that so there was like a thousand sit-ups a day there was stuff on a bike there was uh, cross trainer stuff so there were there were other elements to obviously build up my fitness and my core strength but in terms of actually doing it with the um, with the whole gear on it, it just wasn't practical to do anything like um, the, the marathon with with the whole outfit on. And how long did five miles five miles a day take you? Pretty much all day. Really? Yeah. We we, we had um, it, it wasn't so much that because um, I, I did the Great North. I managed to do the Great North running two very long days, but I was completely spent. So you've got to 
you've got to work out that you've got to, you've got 26 miles to do. I couldn't do, I could never have done six or seven miles a day because I wouldn't have lasted, I wouldn't have lasted the week. So I, I kind of had to limit it to, um, it was like an optimum amount that I could do to ensure that I was going to complete the 26. And what is, what's your actual movement then? Are you, because you've got the weight on either leg, you've got the, <clears throat> the huge weight on your head, but is it, are you essentially just one leg at a time weightlifting or like, and, and where's the strain on your body? What was, so we've learned there was always something that was aching. Um, but what we got into um, a routine, which I didn't have when I did Ben Nevis uh, and all the three peaks, was that it was almost a drag. Um, the boots were so heavy. I mean, it, it wasn't a, a conventional step. It was almost a drag, like a slide along. Uh, and in actual fact, the, 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 I didn't get any blisters doing it. The only thing I did get was the front of the boot. It was, it was the bottom of my shin was the actual part of my leg that was, that was pushing the boot along. Um, Shoes are so light and fitting now, we don't really, you know, it's the foot. But these boots were so heavy, it was actually the front of my shin that was actually pushing the boots along, not not the fit of my of my foot in the boot. So the front of my shins got absolutely rubbed raw, and I had to put um, uh, gel uh, cycle um, covers at the front of the shin just to protect that that um, very very extreme shape. And we've we've seen last year that if you're at the back of the bath and once they start cleaning up, it causes issues, the roads open. But where did they force you onto the pavement from the start? And and did that give you any issues as the fact you weren't on a smooth road? I was actually so slow that the only time I actually um, saw anyone that was that was actually tidying up was at the start. Now the gun went 35,000 people were running off down the road. And because I was at the back, it took me like an hour to get to the start line. By <laughs> which time they was actually starting to take it down. Uh, oh, wow. That's like you're so far behind. Even- <laughs> Would that be brilliant if you were too slow and you officially never started because you didn't cross with your chip? <laughs> so, uh, but beyond that, I never saw anyone. I didn't see any. You know, I was so far behind. I didn't. I didn't see any any anybody uh, cleaning up. Again, you know, there, there weren't any. Um, <clears throat> nothing like that had been done before. So there, there was nothing that was actually uh, set up uh, to accommodate me. And and in all of the events I did, whether it was um, you know the diving suit, the, the suit of armour, we never had anybody from the. Uh, I was never. I never needed to be marshaled. Um, I'd like to think we always did it properly. We had. You know, the Royal Green Jackets, um, we, uh, we also had some member of the armed forces coordinating uh, the, the support team uh, and my access through through London. So everything was done, you know, uh, it was organised and done as safely as possible. Because is it quite hard to get in and out? And, and what would happen at the beginning of the end of the days? Would, would a van turn up and find a little in and... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was um, I was very keen to actually stay on the course. I just thought in the spirit of the marathon, I couldn't go through the night. Um, <clears throat> I thought it was important to stay on the course. So I, I stayed in a little motorhome that we parked up in a fire station 
around in some back streets somewhere and um, you know uh, and then GMTV got involved and they would actually knock on the door at like half past five in the morning um, I had to be out by six o'clock they would run through a rehearsal and then they would do like three lots three bulletins that morning but because of their filming and the cables all I could do was walk up do a do a feature and then the other time then walk back down the other side of the road and we spent like three three and a half hours doing the stuff at GMTV which was great for the coverage but then at like nine o'clock having been up three and a half hours I actually hadn't gone anywhere so it, it was a real balance between how we how I managed you know get the coverage that we needed to raise the money uh, but I, I couldn't afford it to, to compromise my ability to finish you know the event it was, it was a bit borderline on times and how were you physically by the end was it a very different <clears throat> uh, kind of wearing and tearing uh yeah it was it was interesting uh, by it was funny because by sort of mile 19 20 where most marathon runners would actually hit the wall or something equivalent i felt pretty i feel pretty ropey and, and um we didn't tell anybody at the time but i, I actually spent the night in hospital at the london independent hospital we had um, had some nurses uh, from there that were supporting and fundraising. Um, and I just felt I needed to be checked over just before I, I, I cracked on. So obviously we, we didn't we didn't make it public at the time. But but yeah, I did spend an evening in hospital under under observation just to check that I was going to be okay. And and so when you then did finish. What was actually there? Because you're obviously five days late. <laughs> yeah, well, um, they, they were kind enough. I actually had my own finish line. And I was told there was 14 different camera crews there when I, when I finished, which was actually more than there was on race day. Um, and I was told to finish at a particular time. Uh, and um, my mum in the week had written me a letter. She said, oh, when you cross the line, you know, can you be patriotic and carry the flag of St. George? So I always do what mum tells me. So I had this flag. <laughs> so the last 50 yards, I can remember walking down and everyone was jeering and it was a piper playing. And um, <clears throat> I can remember looking out the, the little hole at the side. So my head's still straight in the helmet. I, t- I turned and I saw my kids in the, in the gardens down the mall running around, pulling up all the flowers and things. And... Um, that for me was brilliant because everything was going on with dad, all these cameras, this media, and they just weren't bothered at all. It was just what dad does, and they were just having a real good time with their friends. And um, across the finish line, champagne corks, um, interviews, and I still had this flag. And I said to, what do I do with one of the, the, the when I'm finished with this flag? I said, I'll just look out for one of the yellow jackets from our officials, just give it to, to them. So. My arm was aching. I turned around, saw a yellow jacket. Excuse me, help this. Just gave my flag to one of the officials, and then um, said, "Oh, like Lloyd's, you know, um, ten minutes late, you're going to get your medal." So I had completely forgotten about a medal. It just wasn't what I was doing it for. So I said, "Yeah, okay. What's happening?" Here? Paul Radcliffe has come down to present you with your medal. Done it. Like, absolutely brilliant. I said, "Fantastic. Where is she?" I went, she's over there. And I turned around and she was standing there holding my flag. <laughs> so, 
I've actually given it to Paul Radcliffe without me um, realising. <laughs> a little bit embarrassing, but um, no, it was. Um, yeah, and I think the, like I said before, having having gone to places like the South Pole, the North Pole, Everest, Death Valley, um, it was really really nice that the the one event that kind of took off um, started, you know, like fifteen miles from my front door, uh, and the fact that all my family and friends could actually join in and, and experience it with me. So that's that's why that's why it really really meant. And, and how much did that raise that that one challenge? Two hundred thousand pounds or something. Um, it was uh, amazing, which we didn't expect. Obviously, we didn't expect. I know we collected something like twenty six. We collected twenty six thousand pounds in bucket collections. Um, it was incredible. When it went, especially when you think the first day or two, you know, we didn't collect that much, um, but people were. Throwing money out of buildings, getting off of buses. <laughs> they've, got, they've, got time, they've got time to come and see you, haven't they? <laughs> no, I'm not going to get away. It's, it's, I, I, it's, it's a nightmare to <clears> the <throat> marathon as a spectator, but if you're taking five days to do it, you can leisurely knock, not get down there when you want, stand there. It's, it's perfect. That's what people from school hadn't seen in like 35 years. It was, you know, <laughs> um, incredible. Some, some, bloke, some bloke drove all around London and I'd be looking for you. I'm not going to have lunch today. Is fifty pounds? And Nancy's over fifty pound note. Um, other people said, "Oh, we're having a, somebody sent a message out. We're having a meal in this Indian restaurant just off the course. If you come in, we'll make a donation of five hundred pounds." So, if you come in, <laughs> they can't I, even I dragged, come out to you. I dragged myself to the restaurant, and they were just so gobsmacked. They made it a thousand pound. It was just um, amazing. It was it, it was it was lovely, and it was you know. In all the things I've done since, it hasn't it hasn't matched that. You've we're, we're talking about a few of the other challenges you've done as well, but you have come back to the <clears> diving suit a few times. Is, is is that because that's almost now your your most popular brand line as such? And and do you do you find that as soon as the suit comes out, people are, are more interested or, or remember the old one and it's talked about and, and raises more? Yeah, I, I think straight after the first time I wore the suit, um, at that time, I think people knew enough of me. Um, I hate saying I was a name or anything, but I think people knew enough of who I was. But I was able to do things like uh, the St. George's Dragon and other, other things. Um, but then as, as, as time goes on, I, I just found, especially with the three peaks thing, I thought I just haven't got the... Um, you can't afford to introduce me as all oh, that bloke that did it, and he's, you know, just the image of the diving suit was just it just become synonymous with me. So mm. that's kind of why we went with that because we wouldn't there wouldn't have to be any kind of introductions or uh, you know this the, you know if it was a diving suit it was it was quite obviously me. So and and if you found that <clears throat> is it now. Why, why do you think it's harder to almost get that press attention? Is it because everyone's up their game in the challenges they're doing? Is it because the papers care less? Is it because we care less? Is it, is it because there's more stories in the papers? What do you think it is? Um, it could be a little bit of, of, of everything, really. Um, I mean, yeah. The one thing that struck me this time when I did the three pieces was when we did it 
all the events really previously. We, there wasn't social media uh, mm. to, to spread the word. So goodness knows, you know, what would have happened if, if there'd been social media at, at mm. that time. Um, so, um, yeah, I suppose people do get desensitized to it. And the other thing is that, you know, it, it seems now that, you know, the, the London Marathon is still 26 miles, but it's almost a given. You've now got to do the Marathon to Saab or Kilimanjaro to, to undertake, um, a, a, you know, a tough charity challenge now. So it, it's, you know, the challenges have definitely, definitely moved on, um, which does make it, you know, when you're looking at people trying to do something extreme, um, it does make it, you know, more and more difficult. So I was going to say, unless you do something like an underwater marathon near Loch Ness, where no one's going <laughs> to, yeah, no one's ever going to um, think uh, of doing that, and you know, with good reason. <laughs> and have, have you changed your charities along the way? Like, have they evolved with the challenges? Or because <clears throat> I, I know you're running for you, you, you did the three peaks for a different challenge to um, to the cancer charity, but how have they progressed? Yeah, there's, there's always been, um, predominantly, there's always been children. Um, and obviously having a, a, a cancer leukemia background. Um, but from a personal point of view, the, 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 my motivation has changed as well. When I first had my transplant, I wanted to do these events, but there's, there's much to prove to myself that I was still the same person or was able to achieve what I could prior to my transplant, like, you know, that could afterwards but then obviously that kind of changed uh, and then I got involved with charities and the better events normally happens where the charity puts some results to it some events a bit like the snout I kind of got left out you know there wasn't any real support to put the infrastructure resource behind it it's just me out on the, out on the street and uh, you know what will be will be and uh, but yeah, the, the, the charities have changed, but they've, they've always been involved with children. And uh, I'm no longer involved in the charity sector. I used to be involved working the charity. Um, but the one charity I, I'm still actively involved with, participate was was give these kids sporting opportunities and disadvantages and disabled and. Um, it, it struck a chord to me when I had my illness, my leukemia. I wasn't able to, uh, to to participate in any in any sport. Really, really missed it. Um, and I got out of hospital for my bone marrow transplant. Two days after, as I did a fun run at Crystal Palace Sports Centre. Should never have done it. I mean, I had no hair. I was like skin and bone. And, but just the thought of having that kind of second chance again. So that was something that very, you know, really, really resonated with me. Thought of these kids going through life, not having the opportunity to play sport. Um, that was, that was all the motivation. So there's, there's kind of been that, that thing that, that, that's run through with, you know, obviously with, with variations. And you mentioned that you didn't have support for some of the challenges. And I mean, that really surprises me because given your ability to raise large value for charity you'd think they'd all be kind of jumping at the chance to be able to 
to support you and and to to raise more money is it is is was there a lack of belief on their side or is it is it just that some charities don't have no, the, no, enough no. resource to... I mean, the Taverners are brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Um, and that's what that's what I needed. I needed a charity that was going to get behind this, not only make it happen, but, but promote it. And they did that fantastically well. Um, I think with some of the previous ones that I did, there was an element that I was a, uh, I don't say this disparagingly, but a bit like a golden goose. You know, it, it was almost like I just had to go out and do this and it would happen. And it, it, it didn't, you know, um, that's, that isn't how it, that isn't how it works. Um, I mean, you know, I mean how, how, how often does the Captain Tom come along, you know? But, mm. Listen, it wasn't to the hundred, as, as great an achievement as it was, but it was that particular time that the country was in that, that, that again, you know, really affected people. So, you know, just to say, right, go out and do something and people will want um, you. Like I said before, there's so many amazing people now doing such incredible things that, that I could never even dream of fighting them. So it, it has been far more difficult to try and come up with something. It, it's got to be something that either most people wouldn't want to do um, or think of doing, uh, or it's going to have that kind of kind of twist on it that you know puts a puts a smile on people's faces. Now, there's a, there's a few from your CV I particularly wanted to to highlight and to hear a little bit about the first one you've mentioned already doing an underwater marathon in Loch Ness. <laughs> Tell us about how, what was that like and and how 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 did that differ from being on the land? Um, I actually won a bet with Richard and Judy because Richard thought it would actually be easier underwater because. I had the weight support, <laughs> but it wasn't um, because what I was, uh, and he still owes me for that bet actually, um, because we were actually moving against the the pressure of the pressure of the water. Um, so uh, I got asked by a charity, would I would I do an event for them? And would I do it in the deep sea diving suit? So we, we just had a brainstorm, and I I, I had done one. Uh, practice dive in, in the London Aquarium in the suit, and I was so uncoordinated. But at least I've actually been under the water, and I come up with the idea of well, why not do a marathon underwater? People know me for doing the London Marathon. Um, so that was the idea, and then we thought, where could we do it? And there was only one place really, it had to be Loch Ness, even though. Well, why was that? Wait a minute, <laughs> there was only one place, Loch Ness. Well, is it as deep as the North Sea, Loch Ness? <laughs> no, but the thing is, I mean, you know, put it this way. Seven miles down the road from where I live, there's a, uh, we've got a reservoir, but, you know, doing an underwater marathon in a reservoir in northeast London kind of doesn't um, stir the imagination. Um, so we went, we went for Loch Ness, which was pretty much the, the worst because the sides were so steep, <laughs> the water was so murky, the, and it was freezing. It was it was very cold as well. It was six degrees, and it, it stays at six degrees the whole year, no matter how hot or cold um, the weather is. Um, the one, the flip side to that was that where I managed to do my training was based in Fort William, which is about forty miles or something away. So I was actually able to go up to Scotland and I, I did a number of courses, a commercial diving course, 
obviously my paddy, um, all the theory courses, decompression, uh, and then I spent um, a whole week just on a one-to-one wearing what they call standard kit uh, before I was certified that I could go ahead and do this um, this marathon. So in total, it was over six weeks of, of training um, in order to qualify to be the to be able to go and, and do it. And c- could you see anything at all underwater? Um, it, it varied. Um, the, uh, under underfoot, it was um, mud, uh, clay. So the mud was like uh, sticky. The clay was slippery. Uh, there was silt. We had two days where it was just so silty that I could not see anything. I had to actually, uh, they put a, a line down, a rope down, that I actually had to uh, follow. I fell off a ledge, went down about 20 feet, fell off a ledge. Um, the, the best view was when it was like really rocky because there wasn't anything that was getting kicked up. Problem with that was it was the most difficult to overcome because I had to literally try and climb over the rocks. My progress wasn't very good. Um, and we, we got to, I think it was an ultimate day. And the previous night we sent out the press release that we're going to finish on a Friday morning. Uh, which So we sent the press release out on the... Yeah, the Wednesday night. So people had time to get up to Scotland. Later that evening, um, the navigator came up to me and he said, sorry, Lord, I've got some bad news. We've miscalculated. Because obviously it isn't just a single route mm. down the middle of Loch Ness. You've got to go around. He said, uh, we're two miles short. Oh, no. So we'd already told them when we were going to finish. And I, I'm so particular that I, no one can ever question that I don't do that. Mm. So the following day, I did a I did a um, dive that was over four and a half hours um, underwater to make up this distance, so we could stick to the schedule of finishing on, on the Friday morning. Um, and I think at that point, the crew that were with me obviously saw this as a bit of a stunt, a bit of a joke. But for someone to go underwater and do this thing for four and a half hours was, um, I, I think they felt I hurt my spurs doing it doing that. That was... Uh, um, could you refuel then at all during the, that time? No. No. Uh, and the other thing is that obviously there's... Um, it's one of the most frequently questions I, I got asked is what, what happens when I go to the toilet? Mm. Obviously when you go to the land marathon, we had a secret slit cut in the front and um, it was kind of velcroed over. And um, I, I managed to be able to, you know, it's a little bit awkward, but at least I could relieve myself. And um, I know we went to New York to do this. And some guy came up to me and said, hey, buddy, buddy, can you eat a hot dog for me? You know, and he wanted to take a photograph. So I couldn't move my, I couldn't move my hand around to the grill. So I said, hey, let me give you a hand. And he's kind of went like that. And it went straight, went straight down the front of my suit, this hot dog. So, of course, you know, the only way I could get this hot dog out was through this Velcro slit in the front of the suits, which was um, <laughs> a little bit embarrassing, and I believe a passing lady fainted. But um, yeah, it was uh, obviously underwater. I didn't have that luxury, so I just had to warm the suit up from the um, from the inside. Uh, and how? And would they drag? Like, are you attached to a very solid line that they then drag you back up, or how do you how do you begin and end each 
profession. At the back of the boat, so I had quite a big tug. And what they actually built um, a special seat in like a cage. They actually welded this and made this specifically for me. Um, and at the end of the, at the start of it, I would sit in this with all my gear on, and they would lower, they would lower me down, and then off I would go. Uh, and then at the end of the, uh, the end of the day or the distance I needed to uh, do, I'd get a call, you know, make your way back to the. They would lower it down again. I'd make my way in. Uh, turn myself around to part my bottom, and then they would, you know, with a, with a crane, you know, lift it, lift it up, and, and swing it round. Um, just trying to think. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's what I was going to say. So I had one line that was connected to uh, the surface, and, and that one line within it was it was actually like plaited. So there was a safety line, which obviously came into effect when I fell off the ledge. There was a communications line because I actually got my foot caught. And what I, <laughs> I thought was Nessie had grabbed hold of me, but um, I'd actually put my foot for an oil drum and I couldn't get out and I had to send the, the rescue diver in to, to free me. And the other bit was, um, so we had the airline, communications line and the safety line were all in one, uh, all plaited. So I didn't have um, all these tubes and lines all over the place. And why did you feel that you were in danger? It's it's funny because that's the one real event that I think at the time I became so focused on doing that kind of um, it just became what I what I had to do. Looking back, it's the one event I look back and think, what on earth was I up to? Mm. You know, because chances of that getting past now uh, trying to do that in, in the world we live in now with with health and safety. Um, I mean, I was looking for an event. I actually asked Hampton Court Palace if I could do a marathon in their maze. So you're actually doing a marathon not knowing where you're going. Uh, <laughs> and, they ref and they refused to let me do that on the grounds of health and safety. So an underwater marathon in Loch Ness, I'm not sure even if somebody wanted, it, wanted to do it, but... Um, It'd be allowed me. And I, do look back, I do look back and think, you know, wow, that was pretty, um, pretty mad. And how did you occupy your thoughts when you couldn't see anything for you know, a day at a time? <clears throat> um, it's it's funny that people say what you do. A lot of it in the in the diving suit, you have to concentrate. The visibility isn't isn't good. Um, so yeah, it was. It was. I was always having to concentrate, um, and even more so when I did the three peaks. That was. Um, there were so many stones. Visibility in the helmet. Um, I can see perhaps three meters in front of me, and then I have this huge blind spot. Um, so when I was in London, you know, there was a pavement or a, some steps or something. It was okay. But we did, when we did the three peaks, there was just all these rocks. So I might see a rock or some rocks three metres in front of me and, and pick my best route through that. But obviously, while I'm moving towards that point three metres, I'm moving. So there's another point three metres, there's another three. When I actually got to that point of three metres, my brain was completely frazzled because I had no idea. I'd forgotten what that actually was at that particular point. And at one point, I just had to go, well, guys, I just, I just need to stop here because all I can see is all these rocks and stones and uh, 
yeah, it, it did. It was, it was really, really difficult to concentrate on where uh, I had to, to, to put my feet. Wow, interesting. Um, so you, did you almost get a kind of a, a blindness of, in your mind towards rocks and a, all looking like one big jigsaw puzzle? Or? Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Yeah, you get these jigsaw puzzles that have all got pebbles and things. And in the end, it, it just looked like that. I, I just couldn't. I just couldn't differentiate. I just couldn't keep computing step there, step there, step there. After every step, because after every step, I had to keep recalculating again. So it was, um, yeah. In the end, we <laughs> we had these different grades. Um, sometimes when we actually had a, uh, it wasn't so rocky. We'd go, oh, this is an A road. If it was, if we just had this little bit of gravel. Uh, that became a, a motorway. Um, or if there was a little bit round somewhere, we, we could just divert, divert round some rocks where it was fairly flat. That was the M6 toll road. Um, <laughs> I think on um, uh, there's a couple of couple of stretches on Snowdonia, we actually went to Autobahn. You know, so um, but yeah, we, we kind of we kind of graded all of the uh, uh, we kind of graded it all. Um, Depending on how difficult it was. So one of the other challenges I want to talk about, just because I love, I, I love the notion of it, was when you swam from John O'Groats to Land's Ends in right. the back of a lorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> again, that's never going to happen again. Um, <laughs> so so uh, I've seen something similar in Australia. Well, it wasn't quite that. It was a mobile swimming pool where they went to certain places and mm. they set up and then they did this swim class or something. But I thought, I'll take it a bit further. What actually, if you could swim in this while you're driving along? And um, again, I mean, the one thing I do do is all my research. So went to the police spoke to the police. Um, funny enough, there isn't anything in the regulations that stop me. <laughs> um, and, and I was actually going to be secured in the swimming pool. I, would, I was going to uh, swim against the resistance of the, uh, the rope that I had actually in there. So although I'd be swimming, we yeah. were thinking about one of these current things. But if the lorry stopped, I would carry on, I would carry on moving. So, um, were you in a harness uh, then? Yeah, so I was in like a, a climbing harness. And it was fixed either side and behind and behind me. Because so. in my head, the swimming pool is just open in the back of a massive lorry. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. Is that <laughs> is it, if you open the back door, all the water would flood out? Or no, no, is no, it, no. Was it different? So we had a trailer. We had a we had a, a trailer, and we actually had a company. All of these things start off with an insane phone call. Excuse me, you know, I'd like you to build this swimming pool. Yeah, but put it on the back of a trailer so I can be towed. Uh, Polyport was the company, and they actually built this fantastic swimming pool with port holes and everything on, on the back of a trailer. Um, I spoke to Highways Agency. As long as, as long as the vehicle that we were travelling in uh, didn't exceed, so it wouldn't have to be a a wide load or anything, they were fine. So when I spoke to the police, we got the okay. I actually got a reference because if we did get stopped. I couldn't just say, oh, the police. I needed a name, a number, a department where we've actually got 
Which department was that? Do you know what? I, I, <laughs> you know, I, I, I diarise all of my events, so <laughs> it's, it's there somewhere. I think it was somewhere in, and up in South London. There was a department I spoke to. But, um, but yeah, so, uh, and we didn't get stopped. We didn't get stopped at any point doing this. Um, and would would if you went past past me in in a if I was in a van or if I was in a car or if I was walking on the street, but what would I see? Uh, so from the sides, you would see the swimming pool. We did have portholes in it, but you wouldn't actually really be able to see me swimming, except we were in a town centre, and there was one of these tourist double-decker buses um, that pulled alongside us. And, of course, they looked over, and from that, they could see me, they could see me in the back, and everyone just <laughs> went over and were taking all these uh, photographs. Um so the drivers were, were really, really good. They knew not to brake too sharply because obviously mm. like when you move yourself in the bath, all the water starts slopping. Um, so uh, we did have some events. When we went down to Cornwall, it was impossible because it was so twisty, turning up and down. It, it was like it was like I had my own personal tsunami in, in the back there. And, and, uh, and what would happen when, when I, that was happening with the water would you have to just hold on to the the harness or would you have yeah, to try I and do, i couldn't do too much um swimming it really was just a case of go with the flow you know it was it was uh, and i can remember it happened a few times um and where we stayed over overnight i would go to um like the hotel uh, reception desk and i would just be knocking from backwards and forth, <laughs> uh, like the whole place was moving but it was me having spent the whole day in, in this um in, in this food pot um so yeah it, it, <laughs> it was it was completely bonkers and again I, I just can't see that not that anyone would want to but whether you know you'd be allowed to do something like that now but. well i like the idea of of a triathlon with that as the the first section <sighs> and then someone on a treadmill on the way back, someone on a stationary bike, <laughs> just to undermine any well, actual travel. It was funny because after we did the three peaks, we did get going around to, well, what are you going to do next? What are you going to do next? So there was, there was talk, or there is still talk, possibly of, of a. Again, I think the location is important. So whether we do the swim somewhere and then the bike ride, then. Um, the, the, the marathon at the end of the, the location is the key. Um, I, what about what about the uh, Hawaii home of the Ironman World Championships? Uh, hmm, possibly. I mean, that's a long way. To, that's a long way to go. It's a long way to all the diving suit. I did actually contact um, Alcatraz, and I, I found out that they actually do swimming in the in the San Francisco Bay. Uh, and I did actually put in a query about walking underwater, escaping from Alcatraz by just literally walking along the, the bottom, shallow enough that I could do that, and then just coming up in San Francisco. <laughs> I've got, got some contact. Um, I've got some contact details if I want to pursue that. Um, I, I don't. I, I don't know. So it, it would have to. You know, I said. The three peaks are going to be the finish, and I finished the, the three peaks. Did it, you know, in the UK. My family were there. We got loads of coverage. 
who raised you know a significant amount of money, it, it would have to be something that's going to be that's going to be better than that. Not 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 just something for the sake of doing it. Mm. You know? and, and we've kind of said that if we could get somebody on a corporate basis to put the money behind it. Um, I don't have to rely on, on donations and things again. I don't want people to go, oh, we're in again. Uh, but if a company went right, uh, I'll just say an example. If we did an Ironman driver and we got sponsored by Iron Brew, so obviously there's like a, a <laughs> connection there, you know. Uh, but there we go, right, we'll pay you this. And, you know, we know that money's in the bank. And if I do this, Well, do bad. If anyone knows anyone who works at Iron Brew, get in touch. <laughs> That's like a great idea. Now, um, I'm, I'm aware we're, you know, we're, we're eating up the time. Just wanted to touch on the penny farthing across Australia. Right. Okay. Wow. <laughs> oh. How do you marry those two? I mean, like, it's just the yeah. process you go through. You go, you go to Australia, but you know what? A penny farthing is the, is the exact right thing for Australia. Okay, so penny farthing. Um, so part of me wanted to, uh, to do a fundraising event in all of the seven continents. So I hadn't done Australia. The other thing is I do try, like I've explained with the swim, try and mix things up. So marathon, mm. marathon, marathon, you get boring. So yeah, we did plenty of marathons and we, we tried like the, the swim. So we thought bike ride. But then, you know, again, people do incredible things on bikes. You know, they cycle around the world 15 times. And whatever, you know. So if you're going to do something on a bike, it's got to be a particular type of bike. Um, so we come up with the idea of the, the, the penny farthing. Um, the other thing as well was that when I, I tried to walk to the South Pole and, and came a cropper, um, I came back, Chris and Scott of the Ars Antic. Um, it, 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 it didn't go well. So I'd never done anything over kind of that sort of distance uh, over that period of time, you know. Um, really want to swear, but I, I, I can put up with a week of shit. It's, it's, you know, whatever it is, 10 days, two weeks, yeah. But anything longer than that, I kind of can't get you your focus on it's it's too far it's too far in the in the future to actually be able to kind of uh, yeah to focus on so there's another reason I wanted to do something over that sort of over a long distance over a long period of time so it all kind of come together that we said we would we, do the penny farthing uh, across Australia and whereas I suppose the London Marathon the diving suit was the most memorable because everyone could share in it. Uh, and Loch Ness was probably the most bonkers idea that we managed to actually make happen. Uh, I, I suppose in terms of uh, an actual physical challenge over that distance, over that period of time, the, the penny farthing is probably the most um, satisfied because that was a real <laughs> that was a real adventure. Um, the first the first few days um, I've spent. 10, 12 hours in the saddle, and I finish for the day, um, going to the motorhome, absolutely spent, completely drawn, exhausted. Because what, what kind of speed does it travel? 
10 miles an hour, something like that. Um, a lot depends on the wind and the terrain, Even, you know, far more so than, um, than, than a, a conventional uh, push bike because you've got no, you've got no gears. Um, mm. it, it, you've just basically got a fixed wheel. So uh, I think the most we did, we did 85 kilometers in a day. So that was with a big penny farthing with a wind behind. So, um, but after the first few days, I was like exhausted. We had this red line that we had to go and across like, for our route, and it, it had moved like millimeters. And um, I can remember one particular day coming into the motor hunt and looked at the people around me. You know, my brother, my dad was there, people from the charity, and I could sense that they thought he's not he's not going to do this <laughs> and I, and I know that they sense that because i felt exactly the same myself i thought what well, you know this is I'm, I'm not sure and that really triggered the first time it really triggered uh, a mental uh, response to me uh, and it was i don't think three thousand miles ahead all you need to do is get up tomorrow and cycle that's all you need to do. You can't control what's going to happen 3,000 miles away. All you need to do, get up. And, and it was. It, it was like that 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 complete mental kind of attitude uh, happens whilst I was actually doing it and striking. So then I got up the following day, did that, and then all of a sudden we put three or four days together. And then that three or four days became a week, which became 10 days, which became two weeks, and then you're in a routine, and then, hey, you, you know, we were away. So... Uh, as well as the, the very obvious physical difficulties, there was a real mental side of things that I had to get over to, um, in order to be able to achieve, you know, get across. Now, the, um, you've, you've done so many different fancy dress things now and so many different challenges. Like, what, what advice would you give to any listener who's thinking of trying to undertake a challenge for themselves to raise money for charity? Have you got any tips on things that have worked, things that haven't, advice on, on how to almost create that complete challenge that's going to capture people's imaginations? Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult, I mean, it's such a difficult one. I mean, I get lots, I did get lots of people would, would contact me and say, can you help with this, can you help with that? So we're always looking for an angle. So um, if there's something personal, you're raising money for a hospital or an illness that you actually had, uh, or, or somebody that you know, that, that always that always helps. When we went back to the Three Peaks, I was very fortunate that I already had an image that, uh, and, and, and the costume that was, like I said, very recognisable as being me. It is so difficult now because, you know, like I said, there's incredible people, stupendous things. So from a, from a physical side of things, um, it, it, it's difficult. I mean, you know, Ed Izzard does all these marathons and that many days. So to try and do something on a physical scale that nobody else has done before, I think is going to be incredibly difficult. Mm. And I know Fines wanted to cross um, Antarctica middle of in, in the Antarctic winter. So and normally in Antarctica, it, I don't know, it's minus 30 or something like that. Minus, 40. Uh, but in winter, it's like minus 70. But, you know, people can't comprehend 
how cold minus 30 or minus 40 is. Mm. How are they going to comprehend minus 70? Mm. All they know is it's like freezing cold. So how, how freezing cold can it be? And I suppose that's a little bit in terms of, you know, how far people are going to run now. Or, so I suppose my take on it is, is to actually try and do something um, that's easy to as well as the costume, is to do something that's um, possibly different. So not all of them, uh, I, I looked at trying to cross the channel underwater in the diving suit. I looked at trying to do a, a marathon through London sewers, um, you know, something that, that kind of hasn't been done before mm. or people wouldn't want to do. Or do something um that everyone has an appreciation for. So loads of people have done the three peaks. Loads, you know, millions of people have done uh, the, the marathon. They know how, how they know how difficult it is. So if you're doing it in a diving suit or something like that, at least they have an, they have that appreciation, mm, that reference of just what it takes to actually do it, you know, carrying a fridge on your back or whatever it is. You know. So. Um, so it is now really difficult just to come up with something silly or amusing um, um, and, and, and to make a mark and, and to make it. In actual fact, um, the thing that inspired me about the Three Peaks wasn't about doing something um, more physical about everyone else. It was the fact that everyone was like running around their coffee tables up and down their stairs. And I'm looking at that thinking, oh, I've got to get out and do something. <laughs> and get back to doing something, not proper, but what I'm kind of known for, you know, mm. which is running around a, a coffee table. Um, but, but yeah, it, it, is, it is so different now. And I think, again, you know, you saw with Captain Tom, brilliant as it was doing 100 lengths of his garden. It wasn't so much, obviously it was 100, but it wasn't that so much. It was the, mm. it was, it was the time that the country was in that, that made it so uh, appealing to everybody. There's so many different elements that have all mm. come, come together. Um, and that's why I think the marathon was, was one of those, because, you know, for the first time, instead of everyone wanting to go as fast as they possibly could, there was a guy that was making it as difficult as he possibly could and didn't mind coming in five days after everyone. Uh, it finished, but trying to find those moments of inspiration, uh, the different world now it is certainly got more and more difficult. And that's, did you, that's not to say that there's not something still out there. And and do you think that there almost needs to be slightly more responsible journalism in the way challenges are depicted and? the way hyperboles are used. We've often said in the past that, particularly now with Eddie's most recent challenge, he's doing 31 marathons in 31 days again, and he takes 10, 12 hours to do those. And he's shown on television having ice creams and having a chat with people. And so suddenly where we've gone from a marathon is incredibly hard to do, like London Marathon and Turn Up, it's less so hard to do if you spend 12 hours and, and is do we need to have more of a high bar of, of how challenges are represented in the media? Because my fear is that, for example, a lot of Eddie Izzard's efforts have actually reduced the amount that a lot of other people raise by making something on paper that sounds hard look too easy. 
They should try down in East Stiletto, shouldn't they, really? Yeah, yeah, I mean, that would be, that would be killer. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting, it's a really interesting point. I think a lot of it is the fact that Eddie Izzard, because mm. I often take it and say, right, okay, if it wasn't Eddie Izzard, if it wasn't I don't know, a number of different, John Bishop went across from France, it needs to cross the channel. Mm. Like I, I came across the, I mean, Gordon Brown actually spoke to the French president to get him to allow a French crossing from France to Britain. They're not allowed to go that way. I took intervention at that level to make it happen for BBC. I haven't got those sort of resources. Mm. Um, but in fact, it was John Bishop doing it. Um, in fact, it's Ed Izzard doing it. So I don't think it's... Um, if it was, if it was, you know, my next door neighbour doing it, no one's going to give a hoop that, that he's doing it. It's the fact that it's that personality that's doing it. And I, and I think that's where... Um, one where he actually gets the the attention. I think without him being a celebrity or a name, it, it, it goes it goes nowhere. Um, like I said, there's so many different components now for somebody that isn't a celebrity to come up with something and do something that is um, you know, a first or novel or something. It's uh, I, th I think the challenge. Like I go back to. Uh, at the start, it's actually going to be coming up with the idea and making it happen, as opposed to actually carrying it out. I think, that, I think that's going to be the key. Now, if people do have an idea for you, what's the best way for them to get it to you? Um, I'm on Twitter. Um, uh, I, I'm not good with social media. I'm really, really not good. I've got a Twitter account, so that's probably the best way. Um, Somebody did actually ask me, oh, why don't you do a wing walk, you know? And uh, I said, I actually looked into that. I said, but, uh, you know, I'm too heavy for these biplanes, you know, mm. on these biplanes. Oh, no, 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 we weren't thinking of that. We were thinking of strapping you on the back of a jumbo jet, uh, you know, so I thought of going 200 miles an hour. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, raise a lot of money. It's amazing, it's amazing how, how willing people are, how much people are willing to put you in danger. To, to no, 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 no. I, I, did, I, did, I passed that one over. Um, but, uh, no, like I said, I, I think now, and I am, I am looking at, um, is, is there something that, that I can come up with that would be? And what's been it? the biggest one that you've, on paper, you'd love to do but has, has proven impossible um i suppose i'd always i would always like to have actually um uh, been able to successfully walk uh, but even now it's been done so many times and it's been so many and there's been so many firsts you know then you get the first you know husband and wife cousin mm. and nephew and it's uh, again, again it's been diluted so many I wouldn't want to do that now. If there's one that I wanted to do, um, I think it probably would. It would. Ah, yeah, there is one that I would want to do. And I have tried it on a couple of occasions. So the world's first underwater ultramarathon. And I have looked into it. And I was going to do it 
in, in the suit or just yeah yeah okay. i was going to do it in Amazon in 2018 and uh, two months before we were due to leave i actually went to hospital and had a, a problem with my heart i had a atrial fibrillation and that that took uh over a year to get sorted uh, and then i was actually looking uh, uh, three peaks was actually plan b plan a was to do the underwater marathon along the ultra marathon down the nile um and we got um, we got support with the british embassy in Cairo, and we needed but we needed permission from the egyptians and we kind of got a little bit clogged up with who actually go to and I, mm. I ended up getting put in touch with somebody with tourism and antiquities it sounded like a department out in indiana jonesville um and then covid came and it, it closed everything down but the idea behind that um whereas loch ness wasn't tidal so everything i had to do was basically walking mm. but with a river it's there's a current so to do an ultra marathon would be a lot easier because be being pushed along so it'd be like mm. walking downhill with the wind behind mm. or you could drift dive a little bit so that would be my the, the thing that i really want to do an under an underwater ultra having done the marathon an underwater ultra marathon. now i know you've been raising with the three peaks for lord's tavern uh taverns um Ta what's Taverners, Taverners, sorry, apologies, Lords Taverners. Um, tell us a little bit about them and how people can actually donate for any of the challenges you've done. Um, the, the, the Taverners, um, they provide a number of services um, and programs uh, for children that are disabled or disadvantaged. It does this mainly through sport. And like I've said, you know, without sports in my life, it, you know, um, life worth living uh, and just to see that this charity gives these kids the opportunities they wouldn't otherwise have is something that you know is really really special i would imagine that people listening to this um would be able to relate to it would be able to relate to that so um my fundraising page the tablets has actually been closed now um but if you go to the lord's taverners main website there's a donate, there's a donate page there. Uh, and you can donate through their main website, for reference, or it's got three pigs and um, it will go to the most fantastic cause. So that, that's lordstaverners.org. I'll put that in the Facebook group for people. That would be great if you could donate. Look, well, how much, um, how much do you think you have raised in total? I, I, I mean, I'm sure, I don't know whether you've tallied that up, but in the whole time, with all the events you've done, how much money yeah, do you think you've um, put in the? In it's the, a, the it's a difficult one. I, I think, in terms of, um, excuse me, in terms of actual um, money raised from the events, uh, we're over five million pound. Wow. Um, uh, and that. Uh, yeah, we're over, we're over that, if, if not getting on. The other thing is that there's been uh, schemes and legacies and events that I've put on that have continued to be used by um, charities as well. So it, isn't, it hasn't just been about me physically going out and raising it. It's, it's, you know, I, I do have a um, fundraising legacy, a number of charities that continue to raise money. So. I'd like to think it's it's going to be 
at, at least double that um, in terms of you know what what I've been able to um, to help charities raise. That's amazing. Well, um, next time you've got an idea for your well, when you've got your next idea, let us know because we'd love to be able to follow you for sure. Support you with that. Yeah. And um, any other messages you'd you'd kind of put out to people? No, it's it's just um, I, th I think that the one thing is with the social media, no matter how intent or good intent there is, someone always seems to find a way why you shouldn't do it or you can't. And it's mm. like I just think that that's wrong. Don't don't be put off. Don't be put off by that. If 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 you are genuinely doing it for the right reason, which which I have been. Um, just, just be strong. I suppose, you know, dream, dream big and dare to fail. Really, it's um, a lot well, of things I've done. You know, I don't know that I'm actually going to be able to finish. Um, so, find a way. Yeah, find a way. Well, congratulations on some unbelievable challenges, and may it well, even more so for the amount you've raised. And thanks for coming on the podcast. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. There you go, do badders. Wow, what an episode. We really could have gone on and on and on. If you if you look at Lloyd's page on Wikipedia and his his website, you know, we really have just touched the surface of the challenges he's done. You know, he's climbed Everest, he's he's just done a monumental amount and raised an insane amount of money. But we we wanted to give you a really big marathon fix, particularly this weekend for those people missing Paris, London, um, Boston. And if you still haven't quite got enough of a marathon fix, then other episodes I recommend. Chris Finnell, we interviewed a few weeks ago. Really, really interesting episode. He's run every single London marathon. He's also got the world record for the most number of sub three marathons run in a row at the same marathon. An incredible ultra runner in his own right. We spoke to Megan Hunt, who has been brought on by London Marathon to really look at the sustainability of the race and the, the carbon impact and footprint of big city marathons going forward. And we speak to Danny Coyle, who is from Abbott's World Majors. I think I've said those right. I can't remember the S's are. And he talks to us about that organization and how they operate with all of the big six marathons in the world. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. We're not doing our usual summation because this is quite a long record for us. So actually we just went pretty soon to bed afterwards and then we forgot to actually have our summary. But I mean, you know what Lloyd's like. He's just incredible. Uh, we, we haven't really got a huge amount to add anyway other than just, you know, thanks, mate. Incredible, incredible. And hopefully it's inspired you to take on some challenges and to raise a bit of money as well. If you've got suggestions for future guests, you can email me directly, david at badboyrunnings.com. Please do subscribe and leave reviews for us. It's our reviews that really get the attention of potential guests and gives us the credibility to be able to persuade people like Lloyd to come on the podcast. If you want to get involved in the conversation, there's a Facebook group. You can ask questions to future guests on Instagram because we post in advance who we're going to be interviewing. Thanks for listening, guys. Hope you've enjoyed. Stay safe. And we'll see you next time. But a bye, 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 but a bye, 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 bye. Baby, but a bye, 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 but a bye, 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 bye. I must admit I was a clone to be 
Fuck you, buddy.